the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 443. Today, the guest is Stephen Phillips. Welcome along to the show. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here. Now, maybe you can fill listeners in where you fit in this big, wide world of uh, technology in New Zealand. Yeah, well, um, I suppose I'm uh, almost a dinosaur. I've been uh, in the tech industry for um, over over 30 years. Um, started off in uh, networking, some of the uh, early, early companies like uh, Netway and the likes, uh, building out sort of uh, data networks. Uh, but early, early, around the turn of the century, uh, started working in um, software um, businesses. So I've worked for a number of enterprise sort of uh, software businesses, uh, uh, working for Hewlett Packard's sort of software division, and uh, more recently, sort of migrated to the cloud, being cloud native analytics, all those types of things with uh, Sumo Logic, and really enjoying it. Excellent, excellent. Well, great to have you here. Let's uh, let let's jump straight into the news now. For our gaming fans, this is pretty big week on the annual calendar, isn't it? With uh, with E3 uh, formally kicking off. Uh, when Wednesday, I think it runs uh, Wednesday through uh, Friday, uh, um, but of course, well, maybe that's New Zealand time. But uh, of course, there there's always a lot of announcements and news and so on that, that happens yeah. uh, prior prior uh, to opening of the these sorts of events. And look, for the gamers, you'll definitely want to be looking at all of the coverage that's going online because there there is a huge huge amount uh, but one of the headlines that caught my attention after last week we were talking about Computex and Taipei and the varying announcements there and we've had a little bit of discussion about uh, AMD and how they they're really uh, they've been ramping up their competition with with Intel and before the show, you told me, well, in your house, you've uh, you've got a couple of AMD uh, Ryzen, uh, you know, based computers already. So yeah. uh, obviously, you know, keeping up with the with the trends and uh, and what's uh, uh, what what's good to to buy uh, in recent years. And you know, of course, now we're seeing the um, the HPs and Lenovo's and so on of this world starting to put AMD uh, chips back into their computers. And it's been quite a number of years since we've really seen AMD uh, chips probably in, in reasonably mainstream uh, com- computers. Uh, but the headline that, that caught me as far as uh, AMD was concerned is, is something that they um, seem to have announced this this week. Uh, I guess uh, you know t- tying in with with E three uh, is a. 16 core 7 nanometer uh, gaming CPU uh, that will just go into the standard uh, AM4 um, slot on on any uh, Ryzen motherboard, which you know sounds like it will be reasonably easy to uh, uh, to incorporate for those wanting to upgrade, and um, reasonably easy for you know, the gamers wanting to uh, to build something to put together a, a system pretty easily. Uh, Seven hundred and fifty US dollars, so it's it's not uh, uh, it's not at the budget end of things, but uh, a sixteen core chip uh, is is not at the low end of performance either. <laughs> So, sounds uh, pretty cool. Yeah, if I can get another, you know, three years out of out of a eight core machine that we that we bought sort of probably even a year ago, uh, it's a good thing. But I'm I'm just wondering if uh, if you know 
computers basically in people's sort of uh, homes are, are going to be required going forward with you know the likes of Google and all announcing they're getting into gaming so how's it going to change the whole uh, console um, industry versus you know dedicated gaming PCs yeah there's it, a lot uh, a lot going on isn't there you know cloud cloud streamed uh, games but then that ongoing demand for fast refresh rates, mm. higher and higher def- definition, and you know this week also we've seen uh, Microsoft share you know, a few uh, a few details about their uh, uh, their next generation Xbox uh, Project Scarlet, and uh, like Sony's presumably PlayStation uh, Five, uh, it's going to be. Supporting 8K uh, resolution out of the out of the box, I think uh, f- quite fast refresh uh, refresh rates for uh, 4K content up to up to um, 100, 120. Um, so there's uh, yeah, there's a sort of constant need for more and more grunts. So we've got this amazing you know high high definition, but then we've got the the cloud stuff that. Uh, you know, in, in theory, won't require as much uh, as as much power, uh, and then you've got Apple uh, moving in with their their move to gaming as well. Um, so it, it, it's probably somewhat hard to picture exactly, um, you know, how this will will play out over the the next few years, um, because there's just there's such good competition, and and we've probably been waiting a while for for things to sort of ramp up on competition in the in the gaming front. But having uh, having Google and Apple especially uh, investing, this is uh, I think going to be going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, it's certainly been a few years since I upgraded my console. I think I'm on an Xbox One. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, looking forward to what that next next sort of level of reality uh, brings. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so good, good, good things going on there from you know that performance perspective. And look, I I'm uh, I'm quite pleased to see uh, Intel getting uh, getting you know pressured by. AMD with some looks like very very capable uh, Ryzen uh, processors, so it's it's very good. Now, um, Christian's sitting behind the desk with some uh, some audio to play us. Um, I'm wondering if anybody can recognise these voices. A cramp is no small danger on a swim. He said the same phrase thirty times. Plot the bright rows without leaves. Two plus seven is less than ten. So, Stephen, uh, this was a this sounded like a reasonably familiar uh, voice to you when when I played it uh, before the show because you've you've met the man behind the original voice, but uh, this is not the original voice, is it? No, it it, it sounds like the original voice, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I think uh, it's quite quite scary what uh, what we've got coming up here. So this this is um, some some audio uh, from a Facebook research uh, project where you know, basically they've uh, they've they've taken audio I think out of uh, out of TED talks actually and then they've used uh, those samples uh, their their um, their research um, uh, project or their, their machine learning system that's generated uh, these is called Melnet 
and so that was of course the voice of uh, of Bill Gates that uh, many of our listeners will uh, will recognize uh, and they've done it with a whole bunch of other other um, people's voices as well uh, but of course in this case they've you know they've just had some text and uh, they've had the voice say it so yeah really you could get anybody saying anything with this type of technology and, and we've seen examples of this before and there's been uh, you know, videos doing uh, doing you know somewhat uh, somewhat similar things, um, but yeah, kind of kind of curious that uh, Facebook are, uh, are in this in this space because I think people a lot of people are a bit spooked out by Facebook. So uh, um, ha- having Facebook uh, or engineers from Facebook uh, involved in um, the, this sort of research um, might might worry people uh, a little bit further, particularly because they. Um, uh, also have access to through um, Facebook Messenger you know people make video calls and voice calls and so on uh, they've got access to you know, yeah. a, a large percentage of the voices on uh, on the planet so if you sort of joined a couple of dots together uh, Facebook might be able to get anybody to say anything if if, if they were a um, a uh, a faceless corporation without any morals, which um, you know, I, w- I won't, I won't p- push that any for- further, uh, further f- forward than that. But you know, I know, I know, there's certainly uh, um, um, some out there who who are um, not too pleased with some of the things Facebook's done done in the past. Now, um, look, this sort of research, I don't think we can you know stop progress, but. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, certainly opportunity to use it for good or evil. Um, <laughs> yeah, and given that so many uh, people use the likes of you know Facebook Messenger for um, family conversations, you can see uh, quite quite the potential there. So <laughs> let's let's hope it uh, has the right guardrails added to it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Now, I, I guess that should should bring us on to uh, a story on the US. There's a couple, couple of things to do with uh, travel. Uh, first up, that those applying for visas for the US now uh, it's being demanded that people will uh, should supply details of social media accounts that they've used over the last uh, five five years. So remember. Last time I was filling out the, uh, the what do they call it the ESTA um, process to go into the US, which is the, the sort of in theory a faster, easier way than going through a full uh, visa application process. There was an option to include social media details, yeah. but it was a soft option, so you didn't actually have to fill it out. Yeah. Um, now that process has got a lot harder since since Trump came in. That would be my pick on when when it changed to start asking asking for a lot more uh, details but uh, requesting or insisting on the social media accounts that you've you've had or had access to over uh, over a period of five years is, is certainly getting uh, somewhat more heavy-handed and then the other piece on this uh, the story to do with uh, US customs is uh, there was news out uh, this morning, of uh, a cyber attack on 
US uh, Customs and Border Protection that has leaked photos of people. Now, we did speak about something along this line in the last week or two around license plate details, but this goes further to photos of people and of license uh, plate information having been uh, having been compromised in a cyber attack so yes even uh, even worse than what it uh, what it looked before but when we know that sort of information is being is being leaked and if you put a few a few dots together and somebody was able to you know, compromise uh, maybe some of this information from uh, organizations who handle audio calls you might be a little bit more worried uh, probably on the, on the plus side though it is worth noting that more more and more uh, systems certainly those that handle uh, personal messaging tend to encrypt the communications with keys that aren't aren't necessarily uh, held by the party that's uh, yeah that's still providing the application so if that's happening on on the voice traffic as well then that reduces the you know minimizes the uh, uh, the chance of the audio actually getting getting captured. So there is a little bit of plus to to where where we're heading uh, in in those regards. What what do you think, Stephen? Yeah, well, this is you know certainly a risk that's even real, sort of in the city of Auckland and in, in New Zealand, because you know there is number plate uh, recognition going on. There's scene recognition on train uh, platforms and the likes. Mm. Um, and we've just got to hope that the you know security operations centres that uh, the various sort of uh, entities use are, are up to that, and they're you know, likewise they've got the you know the the separation basically of the keys because uh, it's uh, certainly something that could happen right on our home patch. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, you know it tends to be the smaller the organisation, the smaller the the budget right and so you know uh, we've got smaller entities here in New Zealand so often sort of smaller budgets right. to to attack these things or less less resources and and so on so um, it's certainly good uh, money going on in, in New Zealand in this space there's, there's yeah. some good good investments happening um, when government's involved um Certainly, there's there's quite a lot to go in, but um, as, as you get sort of you know below the budgets of uh, governments and banks, uh, certainly some challenges in that space for for keeping this sort of level of sensitive data mm, mm. away from the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Now. Um, on the soft software front, and this is very much your world, um, just saw news about uh, Salesforce and Tableau. Now, uh, you know, a lot of those in the tech world will will be familiar with uh, Tableau uh, because they have uh, certainly been growing in terms of uh, you know the popularity of their uh, their their analytics software. Uh, I'm not sure how long they've been in the in the market now, but um, it's certainly you know certainly a, you come across them uh, on a pretty regular basis. I've got to got to say, uh, you know, a very a very large number of businesses use Tableau. I get you know there's a bunch of competition, the likes of Power BI from Microsoft and um, you know Google competing in that in that space as well. But 15.7 billion US dollars. That's uh, 
It's a that's that's a pretty large it's chunk a, chunk of money, isn't it? Serious amount amount of money. Yeah, and, you know, um, analytics is changing the way we live. Um, you know, ev- every day. Uh, there's new algorithms basically being being used to actually uh, help us to optimize things. So certainly a lot of value to be eked out of um, out of analytics. And I think Tableau's at the you know, the pointy end of being able to uh, let people sort of unlock the value of of data through you know, visualization and having a very low barrier to entry um, so that you don't have to go through a whole lot of learning mm. uh, to figure out how to use some of these tools so yeah um, you know, user experience um, pays plays multiples when it comes to the value that these companies can create mm. so there yeah, so it's uh, it's salesforce that's been announced as acquiring them salesforce themselves uh with uh close to 120 billion uh us in terms of their, their current um you know, market cap so you know looking at it in in that light it's um it's a big acquisition but it's not like they're buying a business that's worth half what they are or anything at at that sort of level it's it, you know seems to me like uh, probably a pretty uh, pretty smart uh, acquisition for uh, for salesforce in terms of uh, you know broadening out their uh, their market offerings and um, you know their their reasons to uh, to be interacting uh, w- with companies so. yeah certainly you know today in salesforce it's mostly just you know typical bi tools that you've had sort of available for the last 10 years or so mm, but uh, mm. Uh, been able to visualise data sort of with a Tableau type interface uh, certainly is going to be a uh, a good boon for them. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, now on to New Zealand uh, New Zealand stories. Is this you know, I guess a fair bit uh, going on locally. Uh, one piece of news that I saw today is that Costco are launching in New Zealand, and you know, we've talked a, you know a fair bit about well. What if Amazon comes here and and very much sort of the you know the the move of the international um, e-tailers and what impact that could have on New Zealand if our uh, New Zealand entities don't move quick enough to really solidify their uh, their positions, uh, but. Costco is interesting because from what I know or from certainly what I've uh, the bits and pieces I've heard about Costco I haven't heard a whole lot about them doing e-commerce that's sort of it's it, it seems to be you know people going into their stores to to buy in in bulk obviously there has to be for a you know a, a business like that to operate a lot of great technology behind the the scenes to uh, to drive it um, but in terms of you know how it will impact uh, um, you know our our retailers, that's uh, it's probably a little bit more of a just a traditional sort of globalization story rather than uh, than sort of a big technology thing. What are your thoughts? Is this, this um, something you uh, you think we should be? Uh, or the the retailers should be uh, worried about. Well, uh, the retailers <laughs> have been worried about this for a number of years, and I'm I'm seeing you know uh, most most of the retailers are uh, looking at how they're doing their online uh, delivery uh, together mm. with um, you know their, their delivery networks. Like yeah. you, you're seeing the likes of um, foodstuffs basically complementing the uh, going into the store with been able to actually now. You know, 
purchase uh, or, or book a slot for delivery of your groceries That's or right. all of those types delivery of things. Delivery or pick up options. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm see, seeing the same thing across a number of different sort of retail providers where, where they're optimizing their supply chain and looking for ways that they can deliver innovative um experiences uh, to try and sort of you know ward off the the price to the price to the bottom that uh, mm. some of these large scale um, Race, providers yeah. basically bring to the market so yeah try and do something that's you know uniquely is going to fit the New Zealand lifestyle rather than just try and get it out to you fast and you've only got one option yeah I think that sort of that mix of yeah great technology and you know innovative thinking around how to how, you know having that that empathy for the customer and coming up with things that are really a good fit and and yeah as, as you say re, yeah, very relevant to our market that players coming in from outside might you know be very good at, at delivering a somewhat cookie cutter type approach yeah. but often uh, maybe less, less capable about adjusting to what works in a in a local market yeah so some of the innovations I've seen is you know re- real time um, notification basically on on your phone and you're able to uh, direct that um, hang on, hang on I'm not going to be home by four o'clock I actually um, I, I want to pick it up from uh, this location here um, at this time um, that that's something that uh, I you, know, you have to be very sort of integrated within the local ecosystem um, so you, uh, you've got companies like sort of New Zealand Post that are starting to do um, a, lo- a lot of um, relationships with um, with local suppliers and all for uh, some of those sort of innovative um sort of things that uh, I think consumers are really going to actually like. So I mm, think it, it's going to mm. stave off um, you know, the impact of Amazon and Costco for a period until they, they manage to build those relationships with the local suppliers. Yeah, and look, I, you know, from, from my perspective, I'm, I'm keen to see our local New Zealand companies you know, succeed as much as possible and not saying that we, we don't want a level of competition from the big global players because that see, can bring some good good stuff from a consumer perspective yeah. but uh, you know I, I don't want us uh, finding that all all our uh, New Zealand businesses are, uh, are shut out and shut down by these players so yeah it's, it's great to see the innovation that that's that's going on um, of course we've got uh, Chris Quinn who used to be the head of Spark uh, Retail here in New Zealand who's uh, you know heading up uh, foodstuffs and certainly in the northern uh, part of the, the country mm-hmm. and uh, yeah he seems to be with with some of the other technology folks uh, and and smart folks within the business, uh, you know, leading some interesting uh, some interesting activities there. So we uh, will will look to have him in, on in, in an episode uh, over the next little little while as well, which uh, will be interesting to uh, to gain a little bit of insight in terms of what they're uh, what they're up to there. Uh, so yeah, that that should be good. Now, last week. Uh, Samsung sent across the new um, their new 8K TV for me to have a have a look at. Of course, you know they've uh, been first to market in New Zealand with 8K TVs, and I guess you know to me the 8K thing when you know it was first announced, it was probably a little bit like 4K. I was like, ah, 4K. You know who needs it? I get such a great picture off my. Uh, you know, uh, full HD projector, uh, but you soon get you got got used to that uh, 4K definition. And 
what uh, what the the Samsungs and so on of this world have been talking about is as our screens get bigger, you do actually get a benefit of higher definition. And of course, if we look at our current smartphones, uh, you know we've got certainly more than full HD resolution and a little tiny screen, uh, and we've just got used to that so quickly, and it and it works works really well. So yeah, your bigger screen there is certainly a benefit of that uh, that higher definition. Very little content uh, at, at that size uh, just yet, but of course the new Xbox, PlayStation, they, they you know they're going to be coming through delivering 8K content, and you know we'll we'll be able to get uh, no doubt uh, Netflix and Amazon and, and so on streaming coming through in 8K in the future. So uh, you know there's a, there's a big degree to which buying an 8K TV now um, you're not going to be able to take full advantage of it, but boy the picture looks amazing uh, they sent across the 75 uh, inch one uh, and I've seen a bit of coverage in the media today around their uh, I think it's the 98 inch model that uh, uh, comes in at maybe it's 80,000 or something so there's some there's some there's some big money to be uh, to be to be spent but the uh, the 75 inch uh, as well as taking up a, a bit more space than the uh, uh, the, the 49 that we've uh, mostly uh, had in the uh, in the lounge for uh, for a little while. It um, it is a, a, a pretty slick piece of kit. Um, now, last week I talked about the Spark Sport app uh, coming to Samsung TVs. A little little bit late, but that was there on the TV when it arrived. And I've been a little bit critical, maybe in uh, you know in a few few media outlets in in New Zealand around. Uh, some of the challenges Spark were having with with the reliability of uh, streaming from a phone to a TV and what sort of challenges that would hold for consumers, especially those that are maybe less tech savvy. And one of my suggestions was that the simplest answer in a lot of homes might be a TV that has that app on it so that you know a lot of the technical uh, hurdles disappear the app that's in there is labeled as a as a better app um, but I tried we've tried it watching some of the uh, some of the formula one um, over the last few days uh, where they were in uh, they were in uh, Montreal and I've got to say it uh, it sort of you know it, it leaves behind most of the issues of trying to uh, use an app on your phone and then mirror that up to your up to your TV. Really, the only issue I saw was if if I turned on the TV and then hit go uh, immediately straight into the Spark Sport app. And I've only tried this once, so I don't know if it's a consistent issue. Uh, it was asking me to log into the app again, and I'm thinking, hold on, I've already it's logged in here. I Should don't be. want to be re-entering those details. So I exited out of the Spark Sport app, waited five seconds because I guess there was maybe a little bit of something going on in the background and then went straight back in or and it didn't ask me to sign and it remembered everything so yep you know fair enough you sign into it once when you when you when you first use the app um but you don't want to have to keep signing into it so uh, there was there was maybe something there as it just pulled through that information on the on the tv turning on um but a very very slick uh, piece of equipment and uh, yeah very nice in the way it pulls through you know, anything that you've got plugged into the HDMI ports uh, Wi-Fi uh, pairing with the, the sound bar um, yeah these these new 
top TVs, uh, and I'm sure it's not just Samsung, but I've found with the last couple of TVs Samsung have, have sent over a very, very nice experience. Um, so I can't I can't talk so much to uh, to the other the other models, but the just the the tightness of the integration uh, with things that you're plugging into the ports and the simplicity of a single remote that sort of you know picks up and and lets you control uh, you know other devices, Amazon uh, Fire TVs and other things you plug in is very very nice. Uh, and yeah, the picture is 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 outstanding. So um, of course, there's a whole lot of different price points for you know any of these Samsung TVs, and we'll see the other smart TV providers. Uh, they will have the uh, the Spark Sport app. So for those who are you know gearing up for Rugby World Cup later on in the year, uh, there's certainly there will be a, you know obviously a choice of brands of of TV. But you know if you've got a family member who you're thinking oh, they might not be able to sort of um, yeah might struggle a bit with the the, the technicalities uh, if you get the TV and you set it up right ideally with Ethernet probably plugged into it I, I imagine for the best uh, consistency and into a fast internet connection um, certainly based on my initial experience uh, very very slick so was yeah. the uh, broadcast of the um, Grand Prix sort of the way it's packaged, you didn't get sort of like test screens and the, all those. The packaging is, is still is still disappointing. Still, yeah, and yeah, I maybe need to check in with with Spark on what what their plans are around that. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not so ideal, sort of you know branding wise, that you get these big blocks which are designed for adverts that come up. And yeah, yeah there's no they're not editing those out, sort of you know post. You know, it's just whatever goes live is what's captured in the yeah. in the replay. So there might be a block of sort of three minutes where there's a big Sky Sport logo up there, which you know yeah. would create some some confusion <laughs> for uh, for people the first or second time round. If you, you know if you don't understand why why has it got that when I'm watching this through uh, through Spark Sport, uh, and you know of course it's all you know Sky Sport UK that uh, that present it and and make the uh, uh, the, the the package that gets distributed so yeah the, the, I mean those aspects are um, um, a, a little odd um, but also I guess you're getting the you're getting the product at a lower price than you would have through Sky uh, previously so maybe maybe uh, you know you can expect a, a little bit less on the production front but I, I imagine that will improve in some way over time but just how it improves I'm yeah. not quite I'm not quite sure what they are and aren't able to uh, to do yeah I've stumped yeah. up uh, for a couple of uh, free trials so far but um, until till I've got that packaging right I, yeah uh, yeah I've, I've certainly signed up for the for the rugby World Cup and yeah. know, pay, paid some coin there, but yeah. uh, for watching the Grand Prix, I've been a little bit underwhelmed. It's it's been good when it's running, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. You know, like like you say, um, Ethernet. I think is probably going to be a requirement there because I, I don't know if the TVs run Wi-Fi six or whatever they do. But if you, no, I mean I've yeah. I found. I mean you you don't need. I'm not sure exactly how much bandwidth you need, but I found the experience. I mean, we've been running it over Wi-Fi. You know, haven't haven't got around to plugging it in, and it was ab- it was absolutely fine. Okay. Um, 
you know you're, you're not dealing with a four you know four k or or, or eight k uh, stream. If it was four k, then you're going to need you know fifteen to thirty megabits. I I, yeah. I imagine uh, for that. Um, but we would have had that much bandwidth available anyway. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't. And um, yeah, the current um, um, yeah AC Wi-Fi seemed to seem to handle it just yeah. just fine. But there were a few sort of breakups, which I'm not sure if if. Yeah, if that was in the Wi-Fi or it was, you know, or it was elsewhere in sort of the the, the, the original stream uh, yeah. itself, and how that was probably you know distributed from you know UK to uh, to New Zealand originally. So yeah, yeah, really looking forward to uh, how Sky Sport actually deliver on all of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the company that I'm in, we're we're certainly into actually. Uh, uh, h- helping out broadcast companies basically with that sort of level thing of thing, uh, we we work right. on some uh, very very large sort of uh, one day events in the uh, in the US market. Okay, yeah, we do uh, sort of able to do analytics and work an- out analytics sort of. uh, to to help them basically optimize streams across multiple CDNs and the likes. Oh, so, excellent, excellent. Yeah, so okay. it's, uh, quite quite a lot happening in that space. Yes, yeah. That's well, it's something you really have to get it right, don't you? And I think there's there's yep. there's. Uh, well, the whole country is really watching how uh, how Spark are going to uh, are going to get on. Yeah, uh, they've got yeah. a Plan B backup as well. So it's, it's all good. Yes, in good space. Yeah, yeah. Um, now a bit of media coverage around smartphones and and schools over the last uh, few days, and around you know whether it's appropriate that smartphones should be um, should be banned in schools. Have you got any any thoughts on on this? I mean, I, I you know, I guess we have these challenges around uh, social media and online bullying and uh, and so on that that goes on in schools. And you know, from my days in in school, I mean, this this you, you know, you can just see how technology sort of can really notch uh, notch things up. You know, I, I I think you know, back in my day, there'd be you know, I, I guess you know, varying words were were, were said and. You know, I guess from time to time in some environments there would there would maybe be um, you know a bit of fisticuffs and so on. But the the sort of uh, I guess psychological sort of bullying that can go on over um, digital digital means uh, can have a pretty you know pretty nasty impact. And you know we've heard in uh, in some countries of uh, you know this leading to suicides and. And the like, uh, and that's not the only reason. I, you know, I suppose that uh, there needs to be balance around uh, technology as, as well. Um, yeah, what I, do you think? I, I, I certainly think um, not outright banning phones in schools is the right thing to do. Mm. Um, and certainly, there's the bullying aspect, and you need need to have uh, good controls in place for that. But mm. Uh, mm. Uh, I. Heard some other research, sort of just over the over the weekend, that um, that the use of you know, mobile phones um, in particular is having a very detrimental effect on society as a whole and their ability to actually focus on a on a single thing. And I and I know even myself, um, these phones have been so. Um, designed to create the dopamine hit yes. that you're constantly going to them and it's very interrupting and they're now finding that uh, human ability to, to troubleshoot and focus on a single uh, thought and problem is being affected so um, you know, we're in a 
school, which is meant to be a learning environment, and having such a distraction basically there in the classroom, I think is very det- detrimental. And for that reason alone, I think there needs to be controls. You know, they need to open up the desk, put the phone basically in the... Oh, hang on, they don't have desks anymore. Yeah. But uh, find a place basically where they can have it close at hand, but um, make sure that um, the teachers have got the ability to say, if you need to teach... Um, you know, ha- have your phone available to let you know that you know mum's at the gate or something like that. Yeah, y- you don't want to disrupt that too much now. But I think it needs to be a good balance so that people aren't um, having their academic sort of um, abilities curtailed. Oh, sorry, what were you just saying? I just was looking at my phone there, uh, Stephen. Oh, yes. <laughs> sorry, Paul, you Can got you just distracted. repeat that? No, um, <laughs> no you're, you're right. And... You know, I guess it's not it's not so simple either because it's not just phones, right? You know, yeah. we, we have a lot of gadgetry in the classrooms and some schools it's it's a tablet. Uh, in, in other environments, you know, different for different sort of age groups, tablets and laptops. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, people could be doing what they're supposed to be doing or, or doing other things. And, yeah, yeah there's, there's probably a level of, of catch-up that's maybe required on, on some of the some of those you know technology fronts and in, in some situations because uh, I you know I, c- I can imagine you know when I was at school if there was uh, uh, a computer available to me I might well have been doing things other than uh, other than what I was supposed to be doing at a, at a, at a given time depending on my my level of interest in the particular subject <laughs> uh, so yeah I mean there's some genuine challenges uh, you know I know uh, my son's case, where we, we he has the uh, this this um, smartwatch, one of um, the ones that, that Sparks um, uh, made available. Uh, they've said you know no to having a having a watch at school. Now I'm not not sure you know I haven't and I haven't asked too many details around that. And we had that set so basically all the functions other than the watch were disabled during school hours uh, but then you know after hours you know say running late to pick him up or something be able to send him a text or or, mm. or call him so um, yeah I haven't investigated that one too much because it's not really not really a big a big deal um, but I you know curious to sort of understand the different uh, constraints that schools are putting in and I guess the one that triggered it was last week it was Auckland um, Diocesan School for Girls who um, yeah made, made the move to Ban uh, ban ban phones from classroom. So yeah, the, I guess there are um, some some ways to do that, which uh, yeah probably work out reasonably well as long as they're available when they're needed as well. And uh, you know that's the that's getting that that balance right. But you don't want to get rid of all technology either. Yeah, I, I think you know certainly wearables provide a, a way around that. And if you can. Uh, limit the scope of notification on your wearables down to something that's um, you know appropriate I think that's probably a way around it I just think phones are just way too distracting yeah and and the watch is not so much although of course Apple have uh, announced last week that the Apple watch will actually have its own separate app store so you'll be able to go into an app store on your phone there's you know calculator and all sorts of other bits and pieces so you know suddenly your your watch starts just becoming a, a mini uh, mini smartphone and can bring yeah. its own uh, its own distractions with it's it. gonna go there yeah <laughs> So yes, um, 
good good and bad points of of these things and you know of course in in an in an ideal world people can have whatever they want whenever they want but it just comes down to everybody being perfectly disciplined and using them when when it's appropriate but of course we we vary in our abilities in those uh, regards for uh, all sorts of reasons but there we are that's where we are at the moment and now i saw a, a, a headline through in uh, the nbr which I, I thought would be just interesting to to, to give a um a moment or or two uh two now i've got to uh log into the nbr um but it was uh it was titled what was it titled? Record high vulnerabilities and underreporting plague cybersecurity, um, and they were they were referencing a report from uh, Dimension Data that's uh, that's that's just come out. And look, I th- I think there's uh, there, there's definitely you know truth to this, and I guess part of it is that people generally don't want to talk about being hit by a cybersecurity incident so there, there's some real challenges there in knowing what's actually uh, what's actually going on uh, I guess probably the most knowledgeable about what's going on in theory would be law enforcement because if you have something you know critical often there will be a communication, uh, whether whether in New Zealand it's through CERT or the uh, National Cyber Security Centre, which is part of the um, uh, GCSB uh, spy agency here in New Zealand, or or with police. But I imagine you know even what gets reported to authorities is only a, a very small uh, small portion because I think you know most people know that the police aren't going to be able to do too much for you if you've been uh, hit with a ransomware attack or something. In, in most cases um, but they would have a pretty good view and I was involved in um, uh, helping an organisation in, in recent weeks who uh, who was hit with something and um, you know part of that, that process I've you know dealt with the, some of the, the parties that I know and um, you know it was requested that we Go through a process with New Zealand Police and uh, and and share some data with them. And one of the things that they ask for is the chain of communications with uh, you know with with the the party that's trying to uh, hold you to uh, ransom. So you know you can imagine if they collect all that, they end up with some uh, some pretty good information. Uh, but in in reality, um, yeah, very hard to have that full view of just exactly what is uh, what is going on. Yeah, um, cer- certainly. Uh, there's there's been a few attempts by various uh, you know parties in the uh, in, in New Zealand to actually try and. Uh, Get, get the banks um, and government to actually work together and actually share information in, mm. a, in an appropriate way. Yep. Um, yeah, but there's, there's certainly, uh, on the business side of things, you know, uh, the, the new Privacy Act updates that's in Parliament at the moment, yep. know, that's going to compel um, you know, business owners and directors basically to uh, disclose uh loss of, of data to the Privacy Commissioner and the likes, mm, uh, which is, mm. I think, a, a good thing. And obvi- obviously in uh, listed companies, especially listed offshore companies, you know, there's that, that obligation for disclosure 
you know, now today. Uh, but but certainly the, you know, not only the government but also the security professionals and practitioners in New Zealand are starting to uh, really step up their game because the level of threats is, um, you know, uh, the vulnerabilities are up sort of, you know, and you know, fifteen twenty percent sort of year on year, uh, but the the cost to businesses is actually doubling every that's year. W- that's what seems to be skyrocketing, isn't it? And, you know, whereas it was only three or four years ago, if somebody got hit with a, a ransomware attack, then, you know, chances were you might be one or two thousand yeah. US dollars to be able to uh, yep. un- unlock their data. And, you know, now you know, the criminals... Uh, likely hitting a lot less in terms of the number of entities that get hit, but they're asking they're asking much more. They're and, going after the high, you know, high some, value entities. Some of those yeah. with bigger organisations can be you know into the millions of dollars. And certainly, we've got cases you know here in New Zealand that uh, you know the asks are, are certainly north of you know fifty thousand dollars. And um, in terms of what I've come across, and and you know no doubt in some circumstances are uh, um, you know are a lot further uh, up up than that. So uh, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot. Going going on we don't have full uh, visibility of it so i think important for uh, those that are list- listening in that are you know involved in organizations of whatever size uh, to be you know considering very very carefully uh, you know what your organization does from a, a perspective of uh, staying secure uh, backing up data. How quickly can you get? Could you get back online if uh, if somebody went went through and um, you know w- was able to compromise your your systems? It's uh, it's it's a it's a pretty major undertaking, and you know I guess from certainly what we see across our smaller to medium organisations, which is what we have so many of here in New Zealand. Uh, you know, in in general, um, I've noticed you know even now after all the coverage of the media over recent years readiness is still is still pretty low and in fact the 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 um you know where organizations sit in terms of keeping uh keeping themselves secure is as i think still at a pretty disappointing uh level this year at um within my firm within gorilla we've done i think within the first uh first about three months of the year we did about as many sort of audits, which tend to be quite focused on cybersecurity, uh, as we would normally do in a, in a year. And yes, yeah, organisations probably a, a bit of a step ahead of where the, where they were a year or two ago, uh, but still leaving themselves pretty vulnerable and and, uh, and wide open. Yeah, there's certainly no room for complacency for any business because you know t- today uh, you you can go and buy information to actually uh, you know, compromise a given company for you know, tens if not hundreds of dollars and you can go and target an organisation and you end up with these you know, crypto um, situations very, very quickly. So yeah, certainly no room for complacency. So um, certainly a lot of opportunity, I think, for you know, security advisory and security incident response organisations to, to step up into that uh, gap in New Zealand. Mm, uh, but mm. certainly you know, the maturity is only you know, one out of five. Um, so 
whereas you know we, we need to step that that up in New Zealand a couple couple of notches um, at least because uh, we're certainly not immune from uh, from being taken out by these these mm, attacks. Mm, mm. Um, one uh, one thing I've been hearing a little bit about lately is the uh, the rise in uh, web web based attacks, yes. and this report said that they um, had doubled year on year and accounted for nearly a third of all detect, uh, attacks detected in 2018. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we've, 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 you know, seen a lot of those sort of phishing attacks and things come via email. Um, but, you know, web-based malware uh, is, is causing an, you know, increasing uh, number of number of issues. I saw um, one w- we came across a little, little while ago um, was... Some malware that infected a um, a website. I think it was malware that had got onto a particular uh, particular computer. That um, then the user of that computer went into a website and did some you know created some content in the website. That malware then inserted content in. Into the web server. Uh, into, yeah, yeah in, into the webs, into that bit of content that that person uh, created in such a way that they, they didn't notice it, uh, but it ended up going into the uh, the page that they created. And I think it was through uh, a Chrome plugin. Yes. So this Chrome yeah, plugin ins- inserted that into what was being yeah. uh, fired back at the web server. So of course, you know, no way of the the user uh, noticing that. So there's you know there's all manner of uh, things that are going on from from a web perspective. And then once uh, once that uh, yeah lands in the website, and a lot of places it's it's just able to go and uh, and and hit uh, uh, people's machines. Yeah, so certainly a combination of you know user training for for people how how to identify these things and take the appropriate uh, uh, response is is good, but mm. um, it needs to be coupled with that you know defence in depth. So having a number of different mechanisms to to actually safeguard uh, the endpoints that you're using, your computers, your mobile phones need to be in place. You know, endpoint detection or antivirus malware detection is only one part of that mm, um, mm. you've also got to be looking at the user behavior of that machine and looking at the connections that it's making um, and, and determining you know, is this normal behavior or is this um, abnormal behavior mm. um, that uh, needs to be flagged to somebody basically so you can actually respond to that before the actual you know, risk um, of losing data basically occurs yeah, well, I think we're we're certainly uh, in a in a changing time in terms of the technologies that can help, and yeah, that ability to sort of you know analyze all the logs and um, you know float to the top the the important things is is becoming you know more more and more uh, important to organisations. Yeah, um, and it's certainly you know the reputation of a business today is just so so important that you're always available and always on online, and mm. you know, I, I can quite easily see why. You know, businesses um, you know, globally by the end of 2019 are going to lose a trillion dollars to to you know the, this type of problem. Mm. So certainly Nuts, something that you can't can't ignore anymore. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, now, Cryptopia, we haven't um, spoken about them on the podcast for for a while, but they have been getting on stream, uh, you know, uh, mainstream media coverage over the last little while uh, since they were they were, they were hacked um, some some months ago, and uh, you know, big big amounts of. Um, uh, cryptocurrency sort of uh, dis- disappeared so yeah they've um, they've been you know going going through a, uh, a process I think it's, it's grant uh, grant Thornton um, that have been um, handling the uh, uh, liquidation um, situation but you know a whole lot of people who are uh, who are out of out of pocket uh, on that one and uh, and and owed money apparently uh, there has been uh, some interest from uh, offshore to step in and to uh, um, you know buy up the the assets uh, but at this stage the uh, the well the receivers haven't uh, um, have said that well that can't Happen. We've really got to get ahead around the uh, uh, the whole situation, which is, is yeah, kind of unusual. It's a little bit hard to get get your get your head around what is the right what is the right thing to do. And you know, I guess from a New Zealand perspective, uh, as well as to a degree from an international perspective, there's not a uh, a huge amount of expertise as to what to do in these situations where um, you know an, an exchange like this um, you know has been hacked and and what to do. But you know, I guess it's just a it's another. Uh, Highlight of being cautious around what you do if you are involved in cryptocurrency. Uh, you know who who you let hold it for you, and uh, you know where that there are uh, there are you know genuine risk risk points, and uh, you know again de- de- dependent on um, on how you utilize uh, cryptocurrency. It might be a whole lot uh, a whole lot riskier. Uh, than just using a using a old school bank. Yeah, well, old school banks have been uh, dealing with this uh, security situation now for you know a num- number of decades, and they're you know, they're probably the heaviest investors in in security. Uh, but certainly, you know, I see um, high growth um, companies like crypto companies that have ISVs, SaaS providers, mm. uh, sometimes you know not not investing at the the level of care that they need. Mm. Um, and cer- certainly uh, in New Zealand, you know, we're, we're very much a DIY sort of approach, um, and a lot of organisations can actually get away with that for a period of period of time. Uh, but as you start sort of uh, moving into growing into larger international markets uh, compliance and regulatory type of things can, can actually uh, significantly uh, curtail uh, your growth um, if you don't have the right foundations in place mm, so mm. yeah yeah cer- certainly I think uh, organizations need to really really take stock basically around making sure the right controls are in place mm-hmm. yeah ab- ab- absolutely so I think some uh, some some good less lessons uh, in there, but yeah, rather uh, rather sad by all who have been uh, who have been impacted. All right, well that uh, that brings us to the end of uh, of this episode. Um, 
where can people get get hold of you? And uh, you know, if they're they're interested in finding out, um, you know, a little bit more about what you do and so on, Stephen. Yeah, um, prob- probably the best place is actually LinkedIn. So Stephen Phillips, S T E P H E N P H I L L I P S, on LinkedIn. Stephen Phillips, um, you'll find me there. Um, yeah, always happy to you know, talk talk to anyone who, who's uh, you know, got questions or needs help. Uh, we're we're in this with our customers. We love helping out organisations and engaging with the you know, the startup community, uh, the open source community, and, and all of the different meetup groups and all around uh, software delivery and development in New Zealand. Uh, yep. Thanks. And what, what's the what's the website for those who are just interested in, in having a little bit of a, oh, okay. a look? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that part. So <laughs> um, sumologic.com. So S-U-M-O-L-O-G-I-C.com. Um, named after um, our founder's uh, little chihuahua dog. Nice, nice. Uh, that's that's good. Who was on on the show uh, a few months back, a yeah. while back? So uh, yeah, uh, that's that's awesome. And for those who have yet to fill out our listeners survey, uh, please, uh, as soon as the uh, the episode stops, or well, right now actually, if you could uh, visit nztechpodcast.com slash survey. Uh, very very keen to hear from you know, as many uh, people across the NZ Tech Podcast audience as possible around what your thoughts are uh, in terms of potential upcoming uh, changes for the podcast as we uh, we look to do a, a bit of a reboot uh, for want of a, I don't know, I can't think of a better technical term at the moment, but uh, yeah, a bit of a reboot of, of the show uh, the next uh, next little while. Uh, really value your uh, your input on that and uh, there will be some, uh, some uh, a few prizes that we will end up uh, you know, sharing uh, we, once once we once we finish up the uh, the the survey. So there, there might be something good in it for you as well for uh, for contributing. All right. Well, that's us for this week. Thanks everyone for listening. Catch you again on the NZ Tech Podcast again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.